This is the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show, where we're always discovering how to make way more money and pay way less taxes. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of Wealth Ability. So the vaccine rollout is a mess. We've got COVID now for a year. Uh, the economy we know isn't going to recover until we get coronavirus under, you know, under wraps here somewhat. So I'm very excited to discuss today how do we get the virus under wraps, and uh, you know how do the vaccines play a role in this? Um, we may even get to do masks play a role in this because I, I know that's still a big controversy uh, here. And I'm I'm very fortunate to have on our show today, Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal, who is an expert in uh, big, big medicine, basically big pharma. She wrote the book, An American Sickness, How Healthcare Became Big Business and How You Can Take It Back. She was uh, for many years, as I understand with uh, New York Times um, as a correspondent and now editor-in-chief of Kaiser Health News. So Elizabeth, welcome so much to the Wealth Ability Show. Oh, thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Elizabeth, uh, Dr. Rosenthal, what, you know, where you came from and why are you reporting on uh, the coronavirus these days? Well, sure. I, I uh, come from a medical family. I went to medical school, you know, Harvard Med. So, uh, you know, no shabby place, trained in uh, internal medicine and worked in an ER for a number of years. And then, you know, my true love had always been writing. And I realized that how society deals with healthcare problems um, that I was seeing in the emergency room were really more, more troubling than the actual problems in the emergency room often. So I went to the New York Times, uh, became a healthcare reporter, spent a wonderful 22 years there, um, wrote a book called, the, uh, you know, An American Sickness, How Healthcare Became Big Business and How You Can Take It Back. And when I say you, I do include business owners and entrepreneurs in that you. Um, because that's a drag on entrepreneurship, the price of healthcare in our country. Um, and then I went to become editor of Kaiser Health News, which is a, a kind of entrepreneurial startup news organization that deals with health and health policy. We're mostly foundation funded. Uh, so we, we are totally foundation funded, actually. Uh, none of it from healthcare foundations or you know people with uh, a financial interest in healthcare, put it that way. And we give away all our content for free. So we are hugely busy this year. We were very busy because before COVID because of the cost that healthcare was imposing on companies and individuals in this country. Um, and of course, since COVID, uh, that, that's only been amplified, not because of the cost, but because of you know, the, the financial impact of the COVID crisis, which we are hopefully crawling out of now, but boy, not as fast as I would like. It's slow. And, and thank you for addressing the business owners. That's, that's our crowd here as business owners, entrepreneurs, investors. And one of the things we want to make sure we get to, you know, before we finish here is what we can actually do. But it strikes me, you know, my general thought of what's going on right now is this whole vaccine rollout is just a mess. I don't understand. Okay, so we have thousands and thousands of pharmacies that give flu shots every year. 
why do we need stadiums? Why can't we just roll it out through the pharmacies? I, I happen to know a lot of, um, we have a lot of clients uh, that are um, independent pharmacies. They're, they know their patients. They know who's over, you know, who's, who's at risk. They know these things. And yet we seem to be ignoring the pharmacies and instead going to stadiums and things like that. What's going on and, you know, what could be done about it? Well, I think the problem is for many years now, we have had no national strategy on how to address this COVID crisis. So it's been like every county to themselves, every hospital to themselves, every business to themselves, every man to themselves, which is why, you know, we have the craziness now of people signing up in 10 different places and, you know, clicking on websites five times a day to see if they can score a vaccine appointment. I call it like, knock out your neighbor, which is exactly the opposite of what we, right. we want, right? So some places it is being done by pharmacies, other places it's being done in stadiums, other places at hospitals. Um, there is no standard, 50, California has 58 counties and each county is doing it totally differently. So, you know, good luck to people who are trying to get a shot now. And, and not just like, you know, people who want one, we're talking about eligible older people who just can't get what the government has told us we should do, you know? So I think what we need is, um, you know, a central direction and how are we going to do this? At this point, I only kind of half jokingly say, just let the army do it. You know, you just need someone who knows how to do this. It's a legitimate and, option. It's a legitimate um, option. The Army Corps of Engineers, that's right. what they're good at is logistics. Is, you know, is that perhaps the solution? And, and I, I wouldn't have said it was a solution at the beginning, but now that we've messed it up in so many different ways, we have so many different problems to fix that that may be where we're headed. Now, you know, I, uh, many of us in the healthcare look back to World War II, you know, when, when uh, you know, the president could say to, uh, you know, a toy maker, look, we need you to make airplane parts tomorrow, uh, you know, and they did it. Maybe we'll see something like that. Well, um, Biden has talked about invoking the War Powers Act, right? So, yes. Maybe. Which I think is now called the Defense Production Defense Act. Defense Production Act. I'm sorry, the Defense Production Act. <laughs> Rebranding, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like we're, people are no longer liberals, now they're progressives. Again, right. rebranding here, right? So, all right. So what do you think is going to be the, the effect here? What, what's going, what do you think can happen and what can people do about it? I hope it will get better. I'm an optimist. I, I think talking about invoking things is different than actually invoking them. For sure. I think, uh, you know, for any of your listeners, a hundred million doses in a hundred days seems pathetic, frankly. It sounds aspirational and everyone's saying, oh, this is gonna be tough. No, we're doing that right now. So we need more, a hundred million doses in a hundred days only means that less than a sixth of the country is vaccinated by April. That will not let us get back to normal very quickly at all. So the question I'm asking and my reporters are asking as journalists, as physicians, as, as a person who wants a vaccine is what is stopping us from 
ramping up production. You know, we we all like to say this is war. Why don't why why are we treating it like war? Why aren't we saying all hands on deck? Um, you well, why aren't we? What have, what have you found? You've done all this digging. What have you found? Why aren't we treating it that way? And why don't we have more production of the vaccine? I can tell you in a few days once my reporters have finished their work. I think it's partly that you know we in this country are very reluctant to deploy that tactic. You know we want to let companies do what they do. You know if you say to Pfizer, "Sorry guys, we need you to set up another production line of a vaccine," they have to not make something else that they're making. Right? That is. Should we compensate them for that? People are understandably reluctant to do that, particularly at this late stage of the pandemic where we've arrived at this tragic moment because we've had basically months of a stumbling, incoherent response, frankly. Um, I was looking at the total death toll in South Korea, a nation of over 50 million people, 1,300 in the entire nation. We've had more, twice that many healthcare workers die alone in the US. So we are in real trouble. And that's why I think at this point, yes, it is a war and yes, maybe we need dramatic action. You asked me about the pharmacists and pharmacies. Yeah, so, um, so we've got this, uh, you know, we all get flu shots every year. Yeah. It's already set up. We have a distribution. I, I wondered the same thing about the ACA. You know, we had we had Medicare. Why didn't we let people opt into Medicare if they, you know, if they need to or something like that? I don't understand creating a whole new system when you have a system that seems to work. Now, I, I get the Pfizer vaccine is has these special. Uh, you know, uh, you got to it's got to be colder than you know uh, Alaska in winter, but but the but the Moderna doesn't vaccine doesn't seem to have those requirements. So why not just distribute it straight through the pharmacy network? Well, I think part of the problem is we um, you know the pharmacists at most of our pharmacies are busy with other stuff, and these you know we were looking at, at my, in my newsroom the mixing instructions for the Moderna vaccine, which is the easy one to use, right? The one that doesn't require ultra cold storage. You have to defreeze for exactly two hours, then you you know set it still for 15 minutes, then you shake but not stir. And unlike the flu vaccine, which comes in single dose shots, right? The pharmacist picks right. up a shot and just puts it in the arm. These come in batches. So they have to be drawn up. They have to be used within a certain amount of time. That is likely to change. I mean, that is one of the things we could say um, to drug makers. We want these and it, it will happen. We want these in single dose formulations. That apparently takes more science. It takes, we've heard, um, for example, one of the things that's a, a rate limiting step is the little glass vials that they put the vaccine in. You know, could we tell uh, Corning Glass, uh, stop making, you know, mustard, mustard, mustard uh, glasses and we probably make can. these little vials. But so I expect much of that will get better. You know, the point at the beginning was we want to get these vac out, vaccines out there. As always, things don't always come out in initially in the most user friendly form. I expect they will be more user friendly, but I don't know if you ask your pharmacists if they have time to do the 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 kind of elaborate preparation. 
while they're handing out prescriptions for all the usual stuff, um, I would guess many. My question don't. is whether we've asked them because I, I have pharmacists that are clients and they would be happy to do it. They would drop everything for it. The pharmacists I know are so concerned about their patients and yeah. they're, they're, they really do um, care about their patients. They know their patients. I mean, not the big pharmacies, but the small independent pharmacies, they all know their patients. They know them by name. They know what their health issues are and certainly they could administer it. Let me ask you a question that's been on my mind. So we've taken the American Airlines approach, if you will, to distributing the vaccine. In other words, if you're in rows uh, 18 through 30, you go, you get on, and then rows, you know, um, one through, 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 you know, one through 29, and then, you know, whatever. That I mean, we've taken that approach as opposed to the Southwest Airlines approach, which is get in line, and we're just going to get you on. Now, what we know from a, for a fact is that Southwest Airlines has the best, um, fastest boarding procedures in the history of airlines. So the question is, would we be better off with a really get in line as opposed to being so, okay, we have to do this group, then we have to do this group, then we have to do this group. And I'm in a high risk group. So I, but I'm still thinking, don't we just want to get everybody vaccinated? Um, isn't that the most important thing? Well, I, I here I have to disagree a little bit because I think everyone who gets on a Southwest flight kind of has similar needs and risks when they get on that flight. COVID has very different implications for different populations. So I think we can, and we should have in an organized way, said these are the populations that need this first and we open it up to them. Or, you know, you said your pharmacists know their communities. One of the ironies of this pandemic is we were all worried in healthcare policy that, oh, the rural areas are gonna be left out when the vaccine comes. No, they've actually done much better because of just what you said. Mm. The, the, the health department there, they know the thousand people, they know the over 65s, they know the vulnerable, they got them vaccinated. Um, in other countries, what they've done is to say, okay, we know, I mean, and we, we know everyone in this country who's over 65 they send them a email or a text and say, this is your date, this is your appointment, this is when you're gonna get your vaccine. And you cannot waste your hours on the website trying to score anymore or you know, open it up and wait on the five hour lines we are seeing in many states right now of people in walkers. I'm just like- As it turns out, we do know that information um, because when you apply for Medicare, you're a certain age. On your tax return, it says if yep. you're over that age. So certainly, <laughs> we have that information. So yes. what I'm hearing from you is you see this as a pure. Uh, really, the issue is a disorganization logistics logistics issue. This is this is and and then a production issue on top of that. Yeah, I think it's logistics and production. And when some person asked me, "What are you a social? Are you talking about socialists?" and I'm like, because I'm talking about some planning, and I'm like, no, every good business knows how to do production and logistics. This is what a smart organized, it's about organization and direction and clarity, which I think as an editor, probably as a, 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 a business person, that's the essence of 
of success, right? No, of course it is. I mean, we all know that's why Amazon's been so successful and Walmart has been so successful during the during uh, during COVID. That's why, because they they they're all about logistics. So I want to take a moment to tell you about Norada Real Estate. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Narada Real Estate Investments provides you everything you need to invest in some of the best deals around the country. Everything from turnkey rental properties to mortgage financing to property management. Visit their website to learn more and download your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at turnkeyrealestateinvesting.com. That's turnkeyrealestateinvesting.com. Let, let me sh shift gears just a little bit. We have, uh, there's concern about mutations right now and will the um, vaccines, will the vaccines actually offer enough protection even as the virus mutates? Yes, I think all the available evidence so far is that the vaccines are directed towards a part of the coronavirus that is on all of the mutations. So it should work regardless of the strain like most vaccines, I hear all these people arguing, well, this one, you know, and I, I, this is what I fear with this opening up crazy way we've done this. Oh, I hear that Moderna is 95% effective and the J&J &J one that's coming out, maybe it's only 70%. They're all effective, but you know, it's good. Very few vaccines are 100% effective, but all of them will give you protection. And if other vaccines are, um, as are, are an example, Many vaccines, if you get the shot, even if you get sick, which we know some people who get the COVID vaccine will still get COVID. Some of them may not show symptoms. You will probably get a much milder case. So, I, you know, me, when it's my turn, I will be there. I will be there. Okay, so next question. So this is very personal to me. So I, um, I, I'm one of these people who carries an EpiPen with me with the goal in life to never, ever, ever use it. Right. And now I hear doctors say with a straight face that going in anaphylactic shock is an okay reaction. And I'm sorry, but those of us who have had anaphylactic reactions would say that 30 seconds from death is not an okay result. So what, what do we know about, because we heard first heard about this right when they did the first vaccinations right in Great Britain, there were some immediate you know, there were a couple of healthcare workers went in anaphylactic shock. So the question is, um, are, are we seeing this slow down? Is it, I mean, is this something people, you know, I say, well, only 2% of the population, but that's still 2% of the population. That's a lot of people. Okay. And the question is, so should those people like myself, should we just be going, look, I'm going to wait and, uh, and, and wait until they get all the testing done before I even try this? Yeah, and I think, you know, part of the problem with COVID is, you know, we're that old expression, we're building the plane as we fly it, right? So we're learning things every day. And where I find fault is that we don't have good data. We should know, you know, we should have much better data about, you know, how many people are getting serious allergic reactions from these vaccines. And those data are kind of trickling in in ways that I find very unsatisfactory. I can pay my mortgage in three seconds over the phone. Why, why can't uh, you know, reaction reports be, be instantaneous? 
We do know that the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines are more what we call immunogenic than a lot of vaccines than the ordinary flu vaccine, which means that people who are prone to reactions are more likely to get them. Not hugely, but more likely. So For me, does that I mean that the AstraZeneca, the AstraZeneca vaccine that comes out, which is a completely different model um, than, the, than, than the two that are out, will that be less likely to have that consequence? Maybe because it's a very different kind of vaccine. You know, the two, the two that are out now are mRNA vaccines, right. so they are totally novel. Um, but the, the, you know, the goal of a vaccine is to provoke an immune response. So what I would say right now um, is take whatever vaccine you're offered. But if I had a history of anaphylaxis and I'm talking as a physician and as a journalist, what I would do is I would not get my vaccine in uh, you know, uh, at a street clinic or maybe <laughs> in a pharmacy. I would have it at a hospital because anaphylaxis, as you say, is scary. It's serious. Yep. Um, so is COVID. At, anaphylaxis is very treatable, as unpleasant as it may be, but you need to be in a healthcare setting when you get it. So Oh, See, now that that's that's good advice. So you, you talk about you 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 started out talking about this really is it, um, there's a, a business side of this and not just big business, but of course those of us with our own businesses we have all of our employees and we're worried about them getting COVID. We're also worried about them getting the vaccine. Are they going to have reactions to the vaccine? You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of that, and we've actually had an attorney an HR attorney on the show to ask, you know, talk to about, you know, can, you know, do you force them to get the vaccine? Do you allow them to get the vaccine? What do you do? The question that I have for you is since you, you brought it up is what do you think business owners should be doing when it comes to uh, the vaccine and, and the coronavirus in general? I think, and I feel really bad for business owners because it has been kind of dumped in their laps, right? Like, deal with it. And I work for a healthcare found, you know, my healthcare foundation, and we're not sure what we should do about it. So I think people are flying pretty blind. I think it partly depends on what kind of business you have. Is it one that requires people facing? My opinion after, you know, nearly 10 months of working on Zoom is that we have lost something important from not being in an office. I would like to have people back in an office. We're not yet, um, but I, I think businesses should encourage people to get the vaccine, particularly older employees. Um, they might wanna stagger uh, having employee, older employees come back to the office early. And I am a big believer in um, mask wearing. Um, I have to say, I, 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 you know, people say to me, we're not going back to the office with masks. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I can, we can have a meeting in mass. I lived in, I was a New York Times reporter reporter in Beijing where people <laughs> wear masks a lot. I was, right. I was there during SARS and, you know, and I worked as a doctor. I spent hours in an operating room with, with a mask on, you know, so uh, you can do a lot with a mask on you. It's, it's a cultural norm and will it totally prevent COVID? No, but just think of it as, you know, your surgeon is standing over your open abdomen in an operating room with a mask on so the germs from his mouth don't get into your, into your intestine. You know it works, you know. It may not be perfect, but 
we will be wearing masks for a while at work if we're back in offices. I think we should, you, you know, me, if I ran an office, I might mandate it, but I think it's the right thing to do. And I think once the majority, what I've observed about mask wearing across the country is once it becomes the norm in a city, then everyone just does it. It becomes the norm. Where it's harder to do is you don't need a mandate. I go out in Washington DC with without a mask and you know, little kids yell at me because where's your mask? <laughs> So, so, you know, for sure. So, uh, so I, I'm just going to ask a question because this is, I think one of the big, I actually think this is one of the big misunderstandings of mask wearing, you know, you, you make the point that it's not the patient in the operating room that's wearing the mask. It's the physician that's wearing the mask and the physician's not protecting themselves from the patients so much as they're protecting the patient from the physician. And right. I think that's one of the big misunderstandings. I've always understood the, primary benefit of wearing a mask was that because I don't know if I have COVID, okay, and there's no way I can know because even if I've been tested, doesn't mean I don't have it. It just hasn't shown up yet. So I, it, the, the responsibility really is for me to wear a mask so that you don't get sick, not, not, not to protect myself. I mean, I, I want to protect, I happen to want to protect myself too. I ha I'm a mask wearer, um, I, but I'm, you know, I'm highly susceptible to this thing and I, I'd be really, really sick. And I don't want, I don't, I don't want, I don't want the long-term yeah. effects. I don't want the short-term effects. Um, my wife is, uh, is, a, is extraordinarily high risk because of asthma and I don't want her to get it. And right. so we're very careful in our little pod. We're very, very careful. Um, but it's always interesting to me that when I hear people say, well, you can't make me wear a mask because you know, if I get it, that's my problem. I'm going, wait a minute. That's not, I don't think that's the issue. Yeah. And it's not the issue. I mean, you know, I, I like to use the analogy of smoking in restaurants, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, you know, uh, yeah, sure. People can smoke if they want, but they, they don't have a right to ruin my dinner. And, and, but I, I you know, and I think it's a, particularly in offices where hopefully there's some kind of camaraderie or feeling caring about your your coworkers you're wearing a mask and and this is not just if you've had a negative covid test my big worry is that after people have gotten vaccinated they'll say oh i don't need a mask anymore we do not know yet if getting a vaccine stops you from getting mild cases of covid we know you can and you can spread it maybe so you know, even after you get a vaccine, it's thinking about your coworkers and your friends and your family is, and probably it will, it will save you too. It will give you some protection. But the main reason is to think about the company, which is why companies say all sorts of things like no smoking in, in our, you know, in our building. Um, my, my, my favorite one is no shoes, no shirts, no shirt, no service, right? <laughs> right. We're, we seem to be okay with that one, but we're not okay wearing a mask, which I find fascinating. But, and I'm, you know, no judgment here. Uh, it's just fascinating to me to, to see the, the, the difference. But when you look at, so what we can do, what I'm hearing from you is we want, you, you're encouraging everybody to get the vaccine as soon as you can get it. Make sure that you're in the environment that is appropriate for you to get it in, right? Um, uh, it, uh, your, your indication is you think people ought to be wearing masks. Okay. Um, I can't disagree with that. I, 
I'm a big fan. Um, yeah. And and you think that the the vaccines will um, even if they're not 100% effective against the uh, any mutations of the virus, they will be enough to prevent the the massive deaths that we've been seeing. Yes, I'm and I think right. Yes, and I think we're now at a point where people should feel relieved, but also be more careful because. You know, I know it's the Anthony Fauci thing, the light at the end of the tunnel, it is there now. It's not like, I can't wait, you know, this is gonna go on forever. It is gonna end. And, um, you know, the the more you kind of follow through on things right now, the quicker it will end. And then more, the, the sooner you get back to normal life. It's It's just the right thing to do for our country to get the economy going back. I mean, I feel terribly, I, I'm not sure about your, clientele but um you know restaurants uh small businesses are suffering there's so there's so much suffering in the business world and i, I am not a big fan i will admit i'm not a fan of shutdowns so yeah. um i i don't even think they're legal um but I, i'm not a fan because you're just trading deaths that's yeah. all you're doing okay and you i'm very um so entrepreneurs work all their life to yep. become an entrepreneur. Yep. And we have we have businesses, we have over 4 million businesses that have gone under permanently as a result of the shutdowns, not a result of the virus, a result of the shutdowns. Yeah. So, so to me, anything we can do to mitigate the shutdowns is a good thing. You know, what I'm hearing is, you know, the, it's the, it's the vaccines, it's the masks, it's those things that we can actually do so that we don't have to be shut down or we, the government doesn't feel they have to shut us down so that we can continue business in some form. And then what we're always saying is, I'm always telling people, look, this is a great time to look at your, um, how you do business and maybe there's a different way you can do business. But Zoom actually has been a terrific boost for our business from the standpoint that more people are online and we do a lot of online education. So, you know, for me, if I, if I distributed CARES Act money, I would say, I'll pay your, you know, your bar to go dark for a month, maybe what your whole set to, to, so that you can reopen safely. The goal is to reopen safely. Exactly. And um, I, I, I look forward to that. I think by this summer, if we get our acts together with vaccination and just masking, being a little more careful and organization, that can happen. But um, it's going to be it's going to be some work, and uh, but it shouldn't be just the the as it is now. The the biggest we got a terrible statistic today. You know the hospitals have all been out there um, getting subsidies from. Uh, the government, right? Because they say they've been losing money during COVID. Um, many of them are only three or 4% down for the year. Small businesses are way worse off. Right. Um, so why are, why are we supporting big businesses who, yes, the airlines have suffered, but we haven't been very smart about who we're helping if we say we want to be a nation of entrepreneurs and people who make it for themselves, we haven't been very smart in how we've supported those folks so far. Um, and at this point, maybe lessons learned, hopefully there won't be a next time, but what we need to do is support them so they can make it, the ones who made it this far can make it through the next few months till summer and life returns. Hey, if you like 
financial education the way I do, you're going to love Buck Joffrey's podcast. Buck's a friend of mine. He's a client of mine. He's a former board certified surgeon and he's turned into a real estate professional. So he has this podcast that is geared towards high paid professionals. That's who he's geared towards. So if you're a high paid professional, you're going, look, I'd like to do something different with my money than what I'm doing. I'd like to get financially educated. I'd like to take control of my money and my life and my taxes. I would love to recommend Buck Joffrey's podcast, which is called Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. I hope you join Buck on this adventure of a lifetime. Dr. Elizabeth Rosenthal, author of the book, An American Sickness, How Healthcare Became Big Business and How You Can Take It Back. Highly recommend taking back your own healthcare. I'm a big believer in that. And thank you so much. Any final words, Dr. Rosenthal, for us? Just that there is light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, we can do this now. I wouldn't have said this, you know, seven, eight months ago. My mom died of COVID early on. It was a very, very difficult time. I'm from New York. It is a real disease. It can be very serious. In some people, it's not. But um, we have a solution now. And we just need to make a plan and follow the plan, which we've seemed to have had a lot of trouble doing thus far. But this is not an unsolvable problem. It's not like rocket science. We can do this. Uh, thank you so much. And remember, everyone, that really uh, healthcare is a part of your business. Healthcare and, and keeping your, our employees healthy is a major part of what we're doing and making sure that the employees also are comfortable and happy. I know some employees, they're fine going to the office, some aren't. And uh, we've actually given our employees some options on that. And uh, just remember that when we do take care, when we get, when we take care of this virus, when we take care of the health of our employees, we're always going to make way more money and pay way less tax. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability Show with Tom Wheelwright. Way more money, way less taxes. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.